Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where we talk about, well, sometimes conventional wisdom, urban myths, and questionable assumptions, particularly as they apply to the church. This time we're talking about biblical literacy. When looking at the decline of the church in America, many people will tell you that uh, that's due to biblical illiteracy. They say that people today just don't know the scriptures anymore. Most don't even know the basics, they say. They cite statistics that show that most people can't name the four gospels or, or many of the Ten Commandments or many other basics of the Bible. And this, they say, has led to the spiritual decline that we see, or at least a, a disaffection with the organized church as we know it. Well, are they correct? Is biblical illiteracy the main problem? Well, our guest today is Jeremy Myers. He's a former senior pastor and author of several books and now a prison chaplain. He's written a number of books. Uh, a couple of them are uh, titled The Death and Resurrection of the Church, A Call for the Church to Die So It Can Rise Again. Another one called Church is More Than Bodies, Bucks, and Bricks. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Well, you've been to Bible college and seminary. I, I know you know your Bible, and you've also interacted with today's people in and out of church. And I have to ask, is biblical literacy, from your point of view, the main problem today? No, I, I, don't, I don't think biblical illiteracy or biblical literacy, however you want to put it, is the main problem, a lack of biblical literacy. I, I see the problem elsewhere. And um, I mean, obviously, as you, as you indicated there, I, I have been to Bible college and seminary, so it's been important for me. I mean, I consider myself fairly biblically literate, but uh, I don't think that it is the main problem in the church today. Mm. Well, why, why can't we blame America's spiritual ills on people's lack of Bible knowledge? You know, I think what the real issue is is maybe not so much biblical illiteracy, but a lack of people living what they do know from Scripture. And I imagine most pastors who argue for, you know, they're saying that people are not literate, biblically literate today. I think really what they're probably arguing and probably saying is they see people not living according to biblical values. And I agree with that. I, I agree with what they're saying. But I think that the approach isn't necessarily to encourage people to know the Scriptures more, study the Scriptures more, listen to more sermons, read more books attend more Bible studies, but probably it begins with just putting into practice what they already do know, mm. even if that's hardly anything. Mm. Uh, even, you know, the very little that they do know, I think that if they put that into practice, uh, that will probably lead to biblical living, and then even maybe some questions uh, down the road that then might actually lead to them learning the Scriptures more. So it's sort of a question of putting the cart before the horse, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, why do you suppose so many pastors and church leaders identify biblical illiteracy as the main problem? Why, why are they wanting to blame that particular issue? Well, there's lots of reasons, I suppose. One of them would be 
I mean, I was a pastor, and I preached lots and lots of sermons on people learning the Bible more, reading the Bible more, coming to church. We had services Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible studies, all of those sorts of things. And I just remember when I was a pastor, part of it was that I wanted, I mean, I saw how much the Bible helped me, and I wanted people to have that same help in their own life. But I also knew that in order to keep people coming to church and dependent on me, well, they needed to learn the scriptures, and mm-hmm. I was the one who could provide it for them. I'm not saying that that pastors are making people dependent on them, but I sometimes think that when a per- pastor's salary is dependent on Bible teaching or teaching people scriptures, maybe that makes them dependent. But I, really, for me, though, when I look back, look, my spiritual gift was pastor-teacher. I, I think I have some gifts of knowledge as well, spiritual gifts. And I often find in Christianity that people make their own gifts sort of a priority. Uh, they think everybody should do their gifts or have do the things that their their gifts involve, are are leading them to do. For example, okay, my wife she she has gifts of mercy, spirit, and um, service, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so she has a tendency um, because she has those gifts to think that everybody should be serving others and engaged in acts of mercy towards others. Uh, whereas I have gifts of pastor-teacher, and I love studying Scripture, and so I have a tendency to make people think that, or to try to impress upon people the importance of Bible study and gaining Bible knowledge and things like that. So I think sometimes that's where pastors are coming from. They have these gifts, and they know how important they are for them and for the body of Christ, and so they impress these upon other people. Um, and it's just coming to an awareness, hey, look, I have a gift. I have a, a wonderful gift that's great to build up, encourage, edify the body of Christ, and I need to use that gift to help the body. But that's not the same thing as telling everybody else that they need to do the mm. same thing I'm doing. Mm. Let them do their own thing, the thing that God has called them to do, the thing they're specially gifted to do. And if that's not, if that doesn't involve studying the Scriptures, reading Scriptures a lot, memorizing Bible verses, that sort of a thing, then mm. that's okay. That's yeah. good. God bless them. Well, I, I, yeah, I've, I've observed the same kind of thing. I think many churches and pastors pride themselves on being very Bible-centric. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible is, is what, they, right. what they put across. Well, what is the danger of, of that? What is the danger of a church emphasizing Bible knowledge above all else? Yeah, the danger is there's, never, there's several dangers. The main one probably is that there's never, ever, never any end to it. Uh, you know, I'm learning in my own life, and I think you could ask somebody who's in their 80s or 90s who's studied the Scriptures their entire life. One of the great, beautiful things about Scripture is you're never going to get bored with it. That's a good thing. Um, but when someone gets into their mind, well, I need to learn more of the Scriptures before I can go out and serve or love in my community or have a conversation about Jesus with my neighbor. I just don't know what questions might come up, and I don't know how to answer them, so I need to read this book and attend this conference and that sort of a thing. Well, there's never ever, there's never going to be an end to that. Mm. Uh, they always feel like they need to read one more book, attend one more seminar before they get the answers. They feel comfortable enough to be able to have conversations or love other people like Jesus or go out and serve or minister in their community or, or, or do whatever God has called them to do. Mm. It's, almost becomes an addiction of sorts mm. to gain more Bible knowledge. Mm. 
You know, it's like people who are chasing after money. You know, there's never enough. It's always one dollar more. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of the danger, I think, with Bible knowledge. When we emphasize Bible knowledge before, say, Bible living or living what we already know, uh, we always just need one, one fact more, one sermon more, before we mm. feel adequate, ready enough to actually follow Jesus into the world. In, in talking with, uh, with people I know, sometimes uh, uh, lay people, just regular members of a church, out in the world, in talking with their coworkers and friends and so on, whenever the conversation turns spiritual, many of them, I think they're just, as you're describing, they feel like they don't have enough Bible knowledge to be able to talk about even simple matters of faith. And so what they what they wind up often defaulting to is saying, well, you need to come to church and listen to my pastor. So are, are you saying that uh, the side effect of this emphasis, the single-minded emphasis on Bible knowledge, is causing our people to feel impotent and, and unable to simply share their faith? Yeah, I am. That's definitely a side effect. And, you know, we pastors have sort of brought this on ourselves, uh, you know, I'm seminary trained, and I even find in my preaching and teaching today, I very often bring up Greek and Hebrew words, or I mention theological terms that maybe the average person out in the congregation doesn't understand, or, you know, I, I give the impression almost that unless you have Greek and Hebrew knowledge, unless you've read some of these big, heavy theology books, unless you have some initials after your name or something like that, then you don't really know what you're talking about when it mm. comes to the Bible. Mm. And I don't think we try to give that impression to the people when we teach and preach, but I think sometimes that comes across, and so people out there in the pews are like, well, I don't know Greek and Hebrew, I haven't read that book, I don't know what that word means that he just said, mm. so therefore I guess I don't have the answers, I, I can't have a conversation with somebody at work or in my neighborhood who maybe brings up a question. And so like you say, then the default is, well, that's a great question. You need to come to church. Mm. And uh, even that, you know, in one of your earlier podcasts, the one about um, Life Tree Cafe, I think it was, the one where they are having church in a pub, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think he mentioned in there that they – they strongly encourage the people who are involved in that to not invite the people to church. Isn't that something that he mentioned? I'm trying to recall now. Well, he said he didn't want it to be a bait-and-switch where people would come and uh, think that uh, they were lured into this safe place and it was all a setup to get them to go to a church. Yeah, and I think that people are really nervous about that. I mean, not church people, but non-church people. They sort of, if, if, if you are a church-going Christian, and you're having a conversation with them about Jesus or Scripture or something, and all of a sudden you say, well, you just need to come to church, I think that's a real turnoff for lots of people, mm -hmm. because they think, oh, well, you don't really care about me. You don't actually care about this conversation. You just want to get me, you know, attending your church sure. and tithing to the church or whatever it is. So, that has another negative consequence, mm. just as a you know, side effect of of this whole feeling that people just don't know enough about the Bible. Well, you now they're uh, defaulting to their pastor. 
you alluded to earlier that uh, the problem is not biblical illiteracy. The problem is taking what people do know about God, what people do know about uh, Bible basics, and doing something with it. Do you have uh, Do you have an example of someone who you know who exemplifies that of of uh, living out their faith and living out scriptural truths while maybe not necessarily being a seminary trained expert? Oh, so many examples. And, you know, one of them, actually, when I was talking with your producer, Michael, he mentioned himself when he was in high school, the pastor wanted people to go visit newcomers to the church, and so they got the youth group involved. And the youth group didn't know a whole lot about it, but that was okay with the people in the church and the pastor. They just sent them out and meet people in their homes, even though they knew next to nothing. And then any issues or questions that came up, they would talk about the next week, and then get them sent out again. So I thought that was a perfect example. Mm. They're going out to love and meet people, build relationships, even though these are high school kids who don't know much about Scripture. But it was a great learning experience for Michael, if that's what he said. In my own life, um, I have so many examples. I have a neighbor, for example. Uh, his name is Leroy. And he is he's not only biblically illiterate, he is actually illiterate. Oh. He, 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 he cannot read. Uh, he had trouble. He grew up in that generation. He's he's in his 70s, and so <clears throat> for whatever reason, when he grew up, his teachers just gave up on him, and I think he had dyslexia or something, and so he just never learned to read. He, he can't read. He can, can't can write, you know, so um, the thing is, is I've had many conversations in the four years we've lived here with him, and we've had talks about Jesus, and I've watched his life, and we each other, talk to each other over the fence all the time. Even though he is biblically illiterate and illiterate, he's probably one of the most Christ-like, servant-hearted, uh, Jesus-following, loving people I've ever met. I should say as well, he doesn't go to church, uh, and there's, that's reasons, there's reasons for that because of his wife's situation. She has some, some health issues, which does not allow her to, to travel. She's, she's homebound. She's stuck at her house. And uh, she can't handle crowds, you know, the loud music that often happens in church. So, so you know, he's not getting any Bible input anywhere mm. um, from any, in any situation except for the little bit he got when he was a kid, when his mom took him to Sunday school back when, you know, 70 years ago, back when he was, I don't know, six or seven years old, mm. and that's it. Mm. But... He, he loves his neighbors. He's always over helping me with stuff, serving. He, and he, we have conversations about Jesus. Does he know much about Scripture? No. Does he know, could he recite the 66 books of the Bible? Or No. You know, th- does he know, know the Ten Commandments? I doubt it. But he, the, what he does know is a little bit about Jesus and loving other people, and he is the perfect example of somebody who doesn't know much, but he lives out what he does know. Hmm. Um, And and it's a great example for me as well. And my wife, he's an inspiration to us both. Hmm. What what clues do you get from uh, taking a look at how Jesus conducted his ministry and how he equipped and trained his disciples and sent them out uh, to do ministry when it comes to the idea of uh, scriptural knowledge? Yeah, we definitely see this in how Jesus trained his own disciples. A lot of times in Christianity today, we have this idea of discipleship as a group of people sitting in a room going through a curriculum together. Uh, 
And that's not exactly what we see with Jesus. His, I would describe his educational, his discipleship method as something closer to sort of on-the-way learning or mm. just-in-time learning. Mm. He, he maybe taught them a little bit, showed them a couple things, not much, and then sent them out um, or actually had them watch him do something. And then afterwards there would be a little debriefing time, you know, ask questions. Uh, let's talk about what issues came up. What did the people say? What are you thinking? And, and these questions that were brought up, the questions that were answered, were a response to what they themselves had done or what they had seen Jesus do or something they had heard him say. So I think that is a much better way of discipleship, and I would love to see more people in the church practice that today. I'm trying to do it in my own life with the people I interact with. And it's more not, here's the things you're going to need to know, but instead it's, you already know stuff, and you already know a few things about Jesus that is wonderful. Let's go out and live it. Let's go out and practice it. Let's go find a way to put this into practice in our community, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. And then if and when and as issues and questions come up, wonderful, let's address them now. Hmm. And I think that excites people to learn rather than sort of puts them into a guilt trip where, Hmm. oh my, I have to learn this stuff before I can go out and serve others or love others. Hmm. So I think that's what I would see Jesus doing. It's this, you know, just-in-time learning, on-the-way learning. All right, Hmm. we're going to go do this. Here's the... Two things you need to know, which I can teach you in 30 seconds. Good. Got it? Let's go. That sort of a thing. Yeah. Well, some people today say that uh, in their ministry, they emphasize uh, what they would call deep Bible teaching. Deep Bible teaching. What do you think they mean when they they use that word deep? And uh, for you, how would you define a person's spiritual depth? Well, I guess as far as deep Bible teaching, I... I think what they mean is digging deep into Scripture. Um, and frankly, I, when, I, when I teach, part of my job is to teach and preach. So I hope nobody listening to this thinks that I am down in teaching and preaching. I, ha- I do it as part of my job, mm-hmm. and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that I teach deeply. I, I'm one of the pastors and teachers who do verse-by-verse, you know, expository teaching. It's what I was trained to do at Bible college and seminary. Mm-hmm. So I do believe Bible knowledge is important in all of that. But um, I I think that this deep Bible teaching, it it can create some pride. I I see it in myself. I see it in the people I work with in the past and present. Um, The more knowledge we get, especially if we start calling it things like deep teaching, it, it, it tends to, well, even like Paul says, knowledge puffs up. Mm. Love builds up. So it, it has a real danger of, of making people arrogant or proud about what they know about Scripture and less of an emphasis on practicing or putting into practice mm. what they do know. So that's probably the main danger I see with that, even though I, I do it, I practice that style, I suppose, Form of teaching myself. It just has that danger, which I'm always trying to ward off in my own life, mm. and then also with the people I work with and mm. the people I teach. So I guess uh, I'd take from that that uh, you wouldn't necessarily uh, determine a person's spiritual depth based on how many Bible quizzes they could accurately answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
uh, that's part of the problem, too, with the whole biblical illiteracy concern that's getting raised is, you know, how, how do you define biblical illiteracy? You know, is it, because, is it because someone can name the four Gospels and the Ten Commandments and the Twelve Disciples? And, I mean, do you have to memorize 100 verses or 200 or whole books of the Bible? Or, you know, when do you become biblically literate? And it seems that even when people do define it, I, I looked up several articles. I saw one from Christianity Today, a great article, but they had eight ideas there on how to determine whether someone was biblically literate or not. And uh, <laughs> I looked through the list, and I thought, this doesn't mean anything. People could be doing all of these things and still look and act nothing like Jesus. Mm. So for me, I don't know if biblical literacy is the issue, maybe biblical living, but even that, who gets to define biblical living? I think really what it comes down to is, do we look and act and love like Jesus? Mm. Uh, for me, that's the primary thing. And whether, you know, I think we can do that with the barest of Bible knowledge, you know, like, like my friend Leroy uh, mm-hmm. and other people I know mm-hmm. who are in a similar situation. Um, you don't need to be a Bible expert in order to love other people. Mm. Um, and well, serve other people. And given everything you said, I, I, I'm not hearing that uh, you are anti-Bible or anti-biblical literacy. Uh, it's it's a matter of uh, emphasis and focus is is what I think I'm hearing. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, you just look at our English Bible translations, NIV, New American Standard, whatever, even the King James Version. These excellent... Bible translations are basically built on the work of the world's top Christian scholars. Where would we be in the world today? Where would Christianity be without the work of these Bible experts? Who, you know, who know languages and culture and history mm-hmm. and, and all of these things. I mean, we, we need God. Bible knowledge, Bible scholars, Bible experts are a wonderful gift of God to the body of Christ, to the church. So absolutely, we need them. Mm. I just don't think that everybody needs to be one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we can praise God for the scholars, for the teachers, for the pastors, um, thank them for what they provide for the church at large, um, but then realize that not everybody needs to have that level mm. um, of knowledge or mm. even strive for it or work to achieve it. They can you know, be encouraged and instructed by them, trained by them even, but then use what they learn mm. to practice the, the gifts and abilities, passions, desires that God has placed in their own heart. Yeah. So, and if they, they, they feel or feel guilted into, well, I want to do this, but I just don't know enough because my pastor says I need to read this book and memorize these 10 verses, so I'll do this first, and then eventually, you know, go help my neighbor mow his lawn, well, I would think it might be better to put the Bible aside, put the Bible memory verse cards down, and go help your neighbor with his yard work, uh, and then later come back and memorize the verses if uh, you feel like that's what God's leading you to do. Mm -hmm. It's a cart before the horse sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I want to be clear, too, uh, where I'm coming from. I, I love the Bible. I read it daily. Uh, my company, Group Publishing, publishes Bibles, including uh, our newest one called the Jesus-Centered Bible, which, uh, by the way, is proving to be a, a great help to many people. It shows the, the presence of Jesus throughout God's story in the Bible, not only with red letters in the New Testament, but also blue letters to highlight uh, links to Jesus in the Old Testament. But even even the name of that Bible, the Jesus-Centered Bible, I think points to my heart. The, the goal is not to worship the Bible or to center our lives on God's book, the Bible. Uh, I, I personally, I want to be Jesus-centered. That's, that's the focus. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that sounds like a great Bible. I, I love that idea because even Jesus said, you know, to the, the religious leaders of his day, you, what did he say? You search the scriptures daily because you think that in them you have eternal life. But he says, these are the words that speak of me. So mm. uh, I think that's the exact correct approach when we study scripture. It's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's mm. not, you know, I, I, the, the goal, as you said, is not to become a Bible expert, but so that Scripture can shape our lives and help us look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus. So definitely, if someone is, is going to work towards gaining Bible knowledge and studying Greek and Hebrew and engaging in Bible study, God bless them. I, like you, I, I do it myself daily a lot. I love it. It's my passion. <laughs> I've written books about it myself mm-hmm. as well. And, um, but yes, it needs to be Jesus-focused. Uh, it, because it's about a relationship with him and yeah. sharing that relationship with other people. Yeah. Uh, like you said, we, we don't worship a book. Um, yeah. we, we follow Jesus, and, and Scripture should lead us in that direction yeah. if, we're prop, if we're studying it and learning it properly. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that Bible, that, that, Bible um, that you're publishing. I'll probably have to get a copy of it <laughs> yeah. myself. Go out and get one. Well, thank you, Jeremy. This has uh, been very informative. Where, where can people find your books? Oh, they're on Amazon, but you can also get them through my website, redeeminggod.com, or at least learn more about them there. And uh, you've got a blog as well? Yes, that's, that's redeeminggod.com. Okay, good. We'll, we'll look for that and send people there. Mm-hmm. And uh, for our audience, thanks for joining us on uh, the uh, Holy Soup podcast today. Uh, we uh, enjoy your presence with us whenever you can join us, and take a moment to subscribe. And that way uh, you'll never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time on Holy Soup.